Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Will you pray with me? God, we do thank you for your goodness. In our culture today, when we always seem to find the reasons to worry and the reasons to look inward, forgive us for not looking upward. Father, when we do that, we begin to realize that we have hope and we have help and we have the sustaining power to help us overcome. Bless our time together today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to also welcome you this morning and thank you all for being here. Um, wanted to give you just a brief update. Several of you know that um, Larry Sams, his mom, has taken a turn for the worse over the last um, week or so, and she was admitted into hospice care uh, a couple of days ago, and she is beginning her final journey here um, in the next few hours or in the next few days. So do keep Larry and his family in uh, your prayers. I know that um, right now his mom is comfortable, um, but most importantly, I know for Larry and his family, they know that she is ready to go and to meet her Savior, uh, that she has um, served throughout her life. But be in prayer for them. Um, there is a quick announcement that I'd like to make today. Um, on March 3rd, um, I think there's a slide for it, Doug. I, we went a little out of order. Sorry about that. March 3rd, we're going to be hosting an event here on Sunday evening beginning at 6.30. This is an event of developing a digital strategy. This is designed for families, um, for parents of young kids, of teenage kids, um, grandparents, helping us understand. I don't know about you, but every place we turn, everyone has one of these in their hands, don't they? And let's develop a strategy on how to help families, how to help them understand the good things about technology, and the pitfalls about technology. So we're going to be gathering for about an hour that evening. We want to invite you to come. Invite your friends and families to come to this event as well. Again, March 3rd, Sunday evening, beginning at 6 o'clock. I have a question for you. How many of you in this room worry? Let me raise your hand. Okay, there are a lot of hands that aren't up. I'm going to call you what you are. You're a liar. How many of you worry? We all do in different ways and in different time frames of our lives. We're going to continue this sermon series in mind. And one of the things that we have to think about as we approach what our mind does to us is understanding worry. Friday night, Natalie and I um, flew home from um, Florida. We were down there. I had a conference down in Florida last week. Beautiful weather, um, mid-70s all week. We flew into Pittsburgh Friday evening. I left the Pittsburgh airport for my car at 745. 
I arrived in my home at 11.30. If any of you know, it does not take that long to drive from Pittsburgh Airport, except in a torrential downpour of snow when nobody has touched the roads. Let me tell you, I worried a little bit. There were a few times as the cars were fishtailing in front of me and running into each other, I wondered, where am I going to end up? I don't know about you, but sometimes I worry about things like that. Sometimes I worry about, am I good enough? Does anybody ever have that worry in their lives? You know, I got a call from Larry on Wednesday when I'm in Florida at a convention saying, hey, can you preach on Sunday about worry? Sure, anything to help you, friend. What am I going to do? You know, I began to worry. I have to be honest with you. I have a diagnosed anxiety issue. It's called the white coat syndrome. Does anybody else have this? Whenever I see Don Russell coming at me with a stethoscope, I go ballistic. I'm like that. I think and I worry sometimes. Am I saving enough? Will I ever be able to retire? Think about all of the things day in and day out that flood our minds that we begin to worry about. Time Magazine in 2008 did a poll about what people were dealing with in anxiety, what they were worrying about. I thought this poll was great. I know it's almost 20 years old, but hold on for just a minute because we're going to look at a new poll that they did. In 2008, here are the top 10 things that people worried about. Number one, 73% of the people worried about their health and fitness. Number two, they worried about lack of time to spend with their families or to doing the things that bought, brought them pleasure. That was 49%. Number three, 43% of the people worried about problems that they had with their children and what their children were dealing with. Number four, 43% of the people said they worried about job pressures. 39% worried about their investments. Were they going to be able to retire? That number six, at 37%, did we do enough to plan for our future? 34% worried about the relationship they had with their family. Eight per, or 30% worried about aging. 22% worried about their income, and 21% of the people worried about their marriage. Time Magazine, at the end of 2023, did a poll, and they asked, who is more anxious today than they were a year ago? Would you believe that 37% of the people that responded to that poll said they were more anxious today than they had ever been in their life? And then they said, what are the top things they are anxious about today? Remember the things that they were anxious about in 2008. Listen to what people were anxious about in 2023. 70% of the people were worried about staying safe and keeping their families safe. 
68%, they were worried about keeping their identities safe. 66, we come to one of the other ones, were worried about their health. But 65% of people, they were worried about how they were going to pay their bills. Things that just 17 years ago weren't really on the radar. 59% were worried about climate change. 50% were worried about the opioid ec epidemic that we have in our culture today. And 45% were worried about technology, exactly what we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks, and how it affects our culture. But here's a question I have for us today. We all worry, don't we? We've established that. Some of you were brave enough and raised your hands. Others of you just kind of looked at me like, no, I don't worry. <laughs> the reality is this. Where does worry get us? Worry gets us trips to doctors. Worry gets us stressed. It takes time away from the things that are important. So why do we worry? Well, in reality, I think that's a pretty good question. Jesus does a magnificent job talking about worry in the pages of Scripture. I love the Sermon on the Mount, that longest sermon that we have recorded in Jesus' ministry. Jesus talks about a lot of different things. He talks about where our treasures is, are. He talks about how we gain, gain the applause of heaven. He talks about different aspects about our life. But right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about storing treasures. And he talks about how so many of us store treasures here on earth. You remember the text, don't you? It says where moth and rust destroy. And then Jesus says, store your treasures in heaven. But right after that, we come to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, where he talks about worry. Listen to what Jesus says in these verses. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. So, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them more. Let's be honest with ourselves. Worry is a natural part of our lives. Even if Jesus says, why worry? Guess what we're going to do because we're humans. We're going to find something to worry about, aren't we? Each and every one of us. As I'm writing this sermon, I worry. Will I connect with people? Will people understand what I'm trying to say? Even as I stood back as the music was playing and I was getting ready to come up, worry was coming into my mind about this sermon. But Jesus understood that worry was a part of our lives because in his day, worry was a part of their lives. Now, we worry about things today that sometimes they didn't have to worry about. Jesus' day retirement wasn't something that they thought about. You know, they didn't think those ways. They worried about clothing and food, the essentials. It's unique. We're coming back to some of that again today, aren't we? Worrying about those things. I think this text, Jesus gives us three reasons why we need to understand and we need to trust him in our worry. Now, for just a minute, I want to just kind of take a break and go back a few years. Some of you remember the 1980s, don't you? You guys remember them? The big hair, yeah? The great music of the 80s. 1988, there was an award-winning song that came out. Let's listen to this song for just a minute. You can sing along too, by the way. And you know the rest of the song. We could play it for the next three minutes, but I think we'll leave it at that. You know, it's interesting, that song, I think, illustrates the point of this text. We have something bigger and better to look forward to than all of the struggles of the world today. 
And Jesus helps to illustrate that in this text. That there is somebody bigger that is with us and is for us. The first thing I think we need to understand in answering life's worries is this. That there are more important things in life than all of the things that we worry about. Life offers us so much more than our worries. Have you ever thought about that? I said a few minutes ago that I have white coat syndrome. I, that wasn't met as a joke. You know, I, um, Tuesday I have an appointment with my cardiologist, my every six month appointment. I have to be honest with you. I worry for weeks on end. When I get the phone call to set up the appointment, my anxiety level goes up. My blood pressure goes up. My cardiologist actually laughs at me sometimes because he knows that my blood pressure is always higher there. And he laughs because he says, you're scared of me. And I said, you're exactly right, I'm scared of you. On Thursday, Natalie and I were in Florida. My conference got over. We weren't flying out until um, till Friday. So for my birthday, she said, you can do anything you want while we're down here in Florida on Thursday afternoon. We were at the happiest place in the world, so guess where I wanted to go? No, Disney. Yes, I wanted to go to Disney. We're getting on the elevator, leaving our hotel to go to Disney, and I looked at Natalie and I said, you know what, I have to go see Dr. Shaw on Tuesday. She looked at me, and she said these words. She said, you know, let's focus on today. We're about to go to the happiest place on earth. Don't be that person. Now, there were plenty of people at Disney that weren't happy. You know it, don't you? I, I watched all of these kids. They're at Disney. I know what their parents paid for them to be at Disney. They're looking at their phones. I'm like, there's Mickey. Look at Mickey, not your phone. But how often are we like that? We miss what is right in front of us because we are so focused on what we are worried about. In Jesus' day, Jesus did a magnificent job of, in this sermon, talking to the people. You worry about food and you worry about clothing, but understand God is there and God provides everything that you need. I think back, it reminds me of how God provided for the Israelite people out in the wilderness. He gave them what they needed, but what did the people do? They grumbled and they complained. What do we do ourselves? God gives us what we need, but we continually worry and say, is this enough? I wonder, is this not just an unholy commitment of not seeing God as sufficient? I have a question for you today. Is God enough for you in your life today? 
to help you through those times of worry and stress and struggle? Is God enough to help you understand that he is going to walk through those good times as well as those bad times with you? In those valleys where you seem to be crying out, where is God in this? God is saying, I am here and I'm willing to carry you. So I want you to remember today that there are more important things than what is there for you to worry about. The second thing is this. God loves us and wants to provide for us. Did you see that in the text over and over again? How Jesus used typical Jewish logic, talking about the lesser that led to the greater. He said to the people, look at the birds. They don't have to plan for their food. It's there for them. Look at the flowers, the lilies, and all of their beauty, yet in all of their temporalness, yet God provides for them. And then he hits them with the most important line of all of the text. He says, aren't you much more important than those things? God will provide and God will care for us when we get out of the way and we allow him to. The world tells us, worry, worry, worry. But God says, I am there to walk with you. Now, let's be honest. That does not mean that everything is going to be perfect. Because we live in a broken and fallen world. We will have health issues. We will have struggles. We may have to work a little bit harder. We may not be able to retire like our parents retired at a younger age than they did. We may have to work longer. But I'm here to tell you, God is always going to be there with us and through us and help us. God is the one that provides but are we going to pursue the worry like the world does? Or are we going to pursue God? The third thing that I think Jesus tells us in this text is that worry cannot actually change anything. So let's be honest about that. What did your worry add? Nothing. You know what? Thursday, I'm standing on an elevator. I'm going to Disney, but what am I thinking about? Going to a doctor. What did it add to my day? Stress, anxiety, separation from time that I could be talking with my wife, away from cell phones and away from the distractions. It added nothing but more problems and what will worry gain for us does worry ever gain a solution no not really it just gains more stress but what I love about this text Jesus goes through all of this but he doesn't leave us hanging 
Sometimes a good sermon is to leave you hanging and make you start to think, well, what am I going to have to do? But Jesus turns a corner. Fred Craddock, a great teaching professor down at Emory University, I've shared this thousands of times. I was in a preaching seminar with him years ago. He said the most important word you will ever read in Scripture is a three-letter word, and it's the word but. And we read this in the very next Scripture. After Jesus has gone through all of this about worry, Here's what Jesus says in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. I love what one commentary writer said about this text. They said that worry is practical atheism. It's an affront to God. Jesus tells us if we want to overcome worry and we want to overcome that consuming pressure on our minds and on our hearts, we have to put God first in his kingdom. We have to find ways to serve him. We have to find ways to find his attitudes and his highlights in our lives. We have to remember that we're not exempt from stress or suffering. But we also have to realize that God has abundantly blessed us. And we are to share from our abundance. I don't know if Larry talked about this last week, but thank you for sharing from your abundance. Do you realize we packed over 10,000 meals two weeks ago to go to Cuba? Not only did we do that, but we were able to give $1,700 to Blessings in the Backpack and to Tough Bags to help feed kids here in Tuscarawas County. Do you know how? We did that because you gave. You gave from your resources to help somebody else. It didn't hurt, did it? In fact, it probably felt good. I had so many people after the packing event look at me and say, why don't we do this more often? It's a good question. Why don't we? Maybe we need to as we recognize that we have been given so much and we are called to be his hand and feet. I want to remind you of two last things. The first is this. Understand that the worry you are consumed by today is only temporary. What you are worrying about will change. The stress and the struggles will change. We can all sit and find things to worry about, but why? Because guess what? Wednesday's going to come, and it'll be another six months before I have to deal with that white coat. Knock on wood. But the reality is, 
We don't have to sit and worry and stress. It doesn't give us anything. The second thing I want to remind you of is this, that sometimes God gives us exactly what we need in the most unexpected ways. I don't know if you remember the movie that came out back in, I think it was the early 2000s. It was a movie that was called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. It talked about some missionaries. It was a Christian movie that came out on the big screen in a very good way. It was, it was a well-done movie. It talked about Jim Elliott and four missionaries that flew um, mission relief um, times into the um, desert in Ecuador and how they went in and they dealt with these unreached people groups. Back in 1956, they landed in Ecuador on the wrong day. The guys were upset. And Jim Elliott and his four companions were killed. They were obliterated by these Indian tribes. So the movie tells the story. But each of those men had a family. One of the men, his name, um, I don't remember what his name was, but his son's name was Stephen Saint. He was the pilot for the trip that flew in. Stephen was five years old when his da dad was killed in Ecuador. And he had always thought about what happened to him. He had always wondered. And he had always wondered if his dad had died in vain for somebody that didn't matter. Yet Stephen went in to become a medical missionary himself and went into unreached people groups. And he always had a desire to go to a place in the Sierra Desert called Timbuktu. Timbuktu was just a little village that literally means the end of the earth. He was 500 miles away, and he heard that UNICEF was flying a relief plane into Timbuktu, and he asked if he could get on that plane. The pilot said, sure, but here's the problem. We're going to pick up two doctors that live there, and they're probably going to want to fly back with us, which means we don't, won't have space for you on the return flight. You'll have to figure out how to get back. And he goes, no problem. The pilot looked at him and said, Sahara Desert, 110 degrees. This village is a place that is known that nobody can be trusted. He said, I'm going to fly in with you. He gets there, and he begins to go to the marketplace. And he begins to seek out people that could help him. He goes up to a man, and in broken French, he said, I need a truck to drive 500 miles away back to where he was. The man looked at him and laughed. And he said, no truck, no road, only sand. Stephen said, this isn't going to help. But Stephen 
being a white man in a very unique place began to get a lot of kids that gathered around him. And so these kids began to ask Stephen for things. Stephen knew a little bit of French, and a lot of these kids knew some French, and they would ask for souvenirs. And Stephen remembered that there was a famous mosque just a little ways outside of this city. And he asked about this mosque because next door to the mosque was a church, and he knew that the church would provide him help. So the kids began to take him to this little church. Let me pick up Stephen's words. He met a man at that church. The man took him to a translator, and they began this discussion. The missionary translated the answer. This compound had a beautiful garden. One day when I was a small boy, a friend and I decided to steal some carrots from the garden. It was a dangerous task. We had been told that the white men would eat us nomadic children. Despite our agility and considerable experience, I was caught by the former missionary here. But he didn't eat me. Instead, he gave me the carrots And he gave me some cards to read. And he promised that if I memorized them, he would give me an ink pen. So Stephen said to the young man, you learned them? Oh, yes. Only government men and the headmaster of the school had a big pen. But when I showed off my big pen at school, the teacher knew I must have spoken with the missionary, which was strictly forbidden. He severely beat me. When my parents found out that I had portions and had talked to this despised man, they threw me out of my house. I wasn't allowed at school and I had no place to live. But I believed what the Bible was telling me. He goes on to tell about how his mom tried to poison him with poisoned food. He didn't eat it, his brother did, and he got violently ill. But yet, he kept believing the Scripture. They began to continue this dialogue on and on about how his life had been forever changed because of this missionary man that stood there and told him about Jesus. He said, as I got older, the missionary man gave me a book about God's good news being spread to the Stone Age Indians in the jungles of South America. The missionary, or the Stephen's eyes widened, and he said, do you know that story? And he said, yes, I do. In fact, I remember all of the names of the people in the story, and as a matter of fact, one of the gentleman's names is your name. 
And he said, that Pilate was my father. The young man said, your father? And he began to cry. He said, I have always wondered if that story was real. And he said, today you tell me that that story is real. And I can trust that everything that missionary told me was real. They hugged each other. The, Stephen and this young man walked back to the plane, and unbeknownst to Stephen, the doctors decided to stay because some supplies had come, and he flew back to the city that he was at. The reality is this. Sometimes God uses our worries and our anxieties to accomplish his will if we will simply let him. We all struggle day in and day out with times of ups and downs, good times and bad times. But if we would pause and focus on him, God will give us just what we need at just the right time. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that even in the midst of stories of tragedy, we can sometimes hear triumph. Father, I pray that as our minds are so consumed by struggle and stress, that we will also recognize that when we look to you, we find hope and help. Father, be with us and help us to find that strength in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.